Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Number two of Extra Point happening here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you on this Thursday, October 19th. Up until noon today, we'll continue with phone calls here. I know there were some other people trying to get in in the last hour. Feel free to call us back at 1115 or so. 602-260-1060 is the number. Uh, Let's reset the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, uh, which involves the Arizona Diamondbacks. Game three is set for this afternoon, 207 start on TBS. So who wins tonight? The Diamondbacks. Or, or this afternoon, the Diamondbacks or the Phillies. The Phillies continue to lead the way here at 64% of the vote. The Diamondbacks trailing at 36%. We will officially give our answer around 11.30 today. Tossing this on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060, which is most likely the Pac-12 sends two teams to the college football playoff or zero teams and right now the faith is on zero teams at a hundred percent of the vote we will answer this question in addition at 11 30 today the arizona cardinals they are prepping for a trip to seattle to take on the seahawks the big news though yesterday involved a player on the offensive side and a player on the defensive side with Buda Baker and Kyler Murray's 21-day windows opening. We had some takeaways here from uh, head coach Jonathan Gannon as well as quarterback Josh Dobbs, who is, in fact, going to get the start on Sunday in Seattle. First, we'll start with head coach Jonathan Gannon. How do you go about putting that plan in place to see Kyler return you know, a pretty generic answer here from Gannon. We'll take it day by day, see where both of these guys are at relating to play, and just take it day by day. So I think they're taking it day by day. Uh, in addition to that, he was asked that previous to all of this, it's been clear that it's Kyler's decision about when he returns to practice. Is it still going to be his decision when he plays, or is it more of a team thing? Jonathan said it's an organizational decision, but he's a big part of that. Yeah, you mentioned generic, and that's pretty much every question or every answer to every question he receives, which is good. That's okay. But, you know, I've been listening to these, you know, you know press conferences and so forth from Gannon since he got here. And usually I kind of start my morning doing that, uh, like at 6 o'clock or so whenever I get up. And uh, after listening to this morning's uh, press conference from yesterday, I'm just kind of deciding I may not listen to any more of these because he never really says anything. <laughs> uh, he was asked how curious he is to see how Kyler looks on the field. Very curious, but I know the work that he's put in, the people that have helped him get to this point. You can't praise enough the whole medical staff, but he hasn't taken a snap in this offense either. So we got to see him do a lot of things, but I know he's excited to get out there and start playing some football. 
In addition to that, what was his reaction to Kyler being able to practice? And I thought that this answer was very uh, strategic on his point in saying, great, see you out there. Uh, But then he adds, obviously, he's our franchise quarterback, so I was happy about it. Okay, continue. (laughs) Um, In addition to that here, the questions are, what is the next step in Keytrail Clark's game? Uh, we've seen him kind of in and out of the lineup. We saw him uh, it, it kind of picked on last week with the Rams. And he says here consistency on a day-to-day basis. I think that with consistency in practice and games, consistency with technique in games, then comes production. One day of a time with him, he's doing a good job. Uh, I did see some numbers here for quarterback passer ratings when uh, Keytrail Clark is in coverage. Quarter- opposing quarterbacks are complete, uh, have a passer rating of over 113. Is that good? For the quarterback, I yes. No, I, I, I have no idea, you know, because they're on you know, the QBR crap that they have on you, whatever. Um, they need to just let him play every down of every play for the rest of the season and try to figure out whether they need to get another corner at the end of the year. He just needs to play. I don't care. You know, I don't care because they're going to lose pretty much every game they play, no matter whether he plays or not. So just let him play and see if he's going to be part of your future. That's what they need to do with a lot of these players, and he might be number one on the list as far as that goes. The next question to head coach Jonathan Gannon, uh, what do you think of the challenge for the defense going up against Seattle's offense? He says here they got skill guys, a really good back, quarterback plays at a high level. They don't turn the ball over. That's a winning stat, and they do it really well. So we have to challenge that part of their game. I think it's really difficult to tell what's going on with the offense. They've had lots of injuries. You know, they did get uh, one of their tackles back in the last couple of games here. Uh, we'll talk with Greg Bell from the Tacoma News Tribune in the 9:15 segment of the Sports Zone tomorrow. But once again, trying to get injury information from Pete Carroll is, uh, like I've said for years, it seems like the most difficult coach to really get accurate injury information from and that's been going on for a long time but we've known this for a long time uh, as opposed to you know it's not like the college the espionage level for every school seemingly uh, but uh, I think that uh, trying to figure out what's going on just health wise for the Seahawks if, I, if we like covered the Seahawks on a daily basis it would drive me nuts. Well, I was surprised to see that there was only 10 players listed on the injury report for the Seahawks. I thought for sure I was going to be getting like 15 or 20. Uh, but in- well, it's only it's only Wednesday yesterday, so I mean this, this could there could be more. And uh, and usually if there are actually additions during the week, that usually those guys don't play in most for the most teams. But I don't know. I've not uh, monitored the day by day injury report history for Seattle, other than the fact it's frustrating. Uh, some some key takeaways there that just to monitor as it is a Wednesday injury report. It is a Seahawks injury report, but Evan Brown, their center uh, with a hip, did not practice yesterday. Zach Charbonnet, their their backup running back with a hamstring, didn't practice yesterday. An offensive tackle did not practice, and DK Metcalf did not practice. I think does Metcalf ever practice? I mean, he might be like the new DeAndre Hopkins. He might be. I'm going to get some water over here. Okay. Do you want me to talk? Okay. You can say, I, I usually I'm the one sucking down water here like crazy. Okay. 
So Metcalf is, yeah, he actually was injured some in that game last Sunday uh, against uh, the, the Bengals. He went to the locker room at least once. I'm pretty sure he came back and finished the game, however. Uh, so we'll see what's up with him. But it seems like, uh, uh, you know, I'm guessing that, uh, you know, he's, you know he's, he's not reached the Hopkins stage yet. But uh, maybe, uh, maybe the Allen Iverson stage, if you're going to compare it to that back in the NBA days. <laughs> Yeah, you could certainly do that. Um, also, an offensive tackle did not practice. Uh, Charles Cross, though, was limited. Phil Hayes was limited. Yeah. Damian Lill- Lewis was limited. So that's half the offensive line all there. Tyler Lockett was limited. Is, yeah, Lewis is really good. Uh, Cross is the guy who's actually you know, missed the first few games. Or I don't know. If, I think he actually played the first game and got hurt and then didn't play for a few games. He did come back. He played last Sunday, and to my knowledge, he played that whole game. So that might have just been a rest day on a Wednesday. Um, Tyler Lockett was limited. Artie Burns was limited, and Trey Brown was limited. Yeah, Lockett, he's another guy. I've had him on fantasy teams over the years, and he's a guy that does not – he almost never misses a game, but he almost never has like uh, a full week of practice. And it obviously has not affected his performance. And Cardinals fans, uh, you know, there there can't be many players in the NFL that have torched the Cardinals more than Tyler Lockett has over the years. They've actually done a really good job against Metcalf, especially when Patrick Peterson was here. Uh, but Lockett has destroyed the Cardinals over the years. Flipping this on to quarterback Josh Dobbs and the takeaways from him meeting the media yesterday. Um, you know, we've we've seen him in the last couple of games kind of struggle missing some open receivers, missing some throws. So how do you not let missed opportunities eat away at you was the question. He says here, you can't let it eat at you. It does like just being a competitor, yeah, because when the opportunities are there, you want to hit on them. I'm pointing out the opportunities I had. I know each player on the team is probably doing the same thing. Of Looking back at their performance of what play could have impacted the game and shifted it into our favor, that's what you always do as a competitor, and especially when the result isn't what you wanted it to be. You can't let it eat at you, but you do have to let it motivate you and make sure when those opportunities are there again, you don't get snake-bitten by those same mistakes. Yeah, I think it's a big deal. I hope it's not that big a deal, actually, but I would imagine – his inaccuracy the last couple of weeks, and quite frankly, that's been the biggest question about him as a quarterback for several years, whether it's college or pro. Uh, I'm hoping that you know if, if he's not good this week, I'm hoping they don't rush Murray back because we haven't seen as good a Dobbs as we saw the first part of the season. Uh, when it comes to what do you have to do to get Michael Wilson going, you know, we saw <laughs> – Get him, him have on the a field and throw him the damn ball. I can answer that question. <laughs> yeah, because we we see what he's capable of doing, and we saw that stand out immediately to both of us back in training camp. Uh, they've had some opportunities for him in some big plays. He had a really nice game against the 49ers, uh, and then he's kind of been quiet here the last couple. So when the opportunities are there. Taking advantage of the looks defenses are giving us. As a quarterback, you want to get the ball in your playmaker's hands. Mike, he makes catches every time. It seems you throw him the ball. A spectacular catch, a contested catch. 
when those opportunities are there, I know he'll execute them and I'll get the ball in his hands. But in order to continue taking care of the football and playing ahead of schedule, we got to take what the defense is giving us. When those opportunities are there, we'll execute them. When they aren't, we'll get the ball in the right person's hands and keep the chains moving. Okay, that's great. Um, I think the biggest thing with Wilson is he's got to be on the field more. I kind of understand to some extent while he hasn't been some because when uh, the, their offensive line has had some significant issues uh, and uh, I don't think there's been really consistent from game to game at any point or maybe even any position so far this year. And they've had to go, yeah, I don't know this for positive for sure statistically, but it seems like they've had a lot more too and sometimes even three uh, tight end sets. And when that happens, Wilson's not on the field. What is it like with Kyler returning to practice? And Joshua Dobbs said, it doesn't change my approach at all. It was great having K1 out there, seeing him running around, slinging it, but it doesn't change my approach at all. We are still preparing for Seattle. I've seen every side of this quarterback thing, so my approach never changes. Come in, work hard, prepare. My approach doesn't change. And a follow-up to that here is, what is the challenge with sharing reps with Kyler? And he said, the coaches have a plan for that and we'll communicate that. There are no concerns from my end. My reps are there. I'll go out there and take full advantage of them. And when he's getting reps, I'm still back there getting my mental reps. It's like it's not like you're checked out if you're not in. There is no concern at all. They'll have a plan, and that's their job to figure out their plan. My job is when they tell nine to go in, execute and play at a high level, I go in and I do that. Yeah, we're not going to find out anything about these reps until, you know, maybe ever. Um, you know, you, it's not like training camp where you actually have open practices and you know, if there's a quarterback battle, so to speak, you know, certain teams have had, uh, you know, certain media outlets have had them, you know, monitor the reporters or how many, you know, how many reps was this guy out there? How many reps was the other guy out there? How many did they give the first team? Whatever. Uh, so, you know, there's no open practice now and, uh, during the regular season in the NFL. So we're not going to have any idea who's actually getting what reps. And I'm sure we're not going to hear anything as far as that uh, from Gannon until they actually announce that Murray's going to be back. And my guess is that uh, we're not going to know that Murray's coming back the week that he's coming back until like game day. You know, I was thinking that myself because we, you know, all thought it was going to be Joshua Dobbs getting the start uh, week one against the Commanders, but we didn't technically know that until basically game time. That's true. I didn't even factor it in that part. I mean, but that was the uh, the espionage part, or lack of a better term, the, the competitive. Uh, you know, the competitive you know, the advantage. Compet yeah, the competitive. Yeah, how'd that go? Uh, so everybody knew he was going to start. So, I mean, it was, everybody knew like for two weeks he was going to start because you had that bye week between the end of the preseason and the actual start of the regular season. Uh, and somebody reported that like in two seconds. And, uh, you know, it was you know, whatever. So that's uh, the competitive advantage. Yeah. Well, when you have a really bad team, which the Cardinals have, I mean, there is there really a competitive advantage in anything? 
The Wednesday injury report for the Cardinals. Antonio Hamilton did not practice with a groin. Zach Paschal with a neck did not practice. Continuing to monitor Jalen Thompson. Hamstring did not practice. Uh, Buda Baker, hamstring limited. Keetrell Clark, hamstring limited. Kyler Murray, limited. Garrett Williams, limited. Uh, Jalen, excuse me, Buda Baker, Kyler Murray, and Garrett Williams are all in their windows of returning. Williams uh, obviously has less time than Buda and Kyler do to get back on to the active roster. Okay. Let's continue. Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports' power rankings. We were uh, five through one is what we were wrapping up from our number one. Five was the Bills. Four was the Eagles. Three was the Chiefs. We landed on number two, and it's the Detroit Lions. Uh, Jamison Williams, he did have a 45-yard touchdown in that game against the Buccaneers. What sort of production can we kind of sort of expect to see out of him? It seems like Amal Ross St. Brown is clearly wide receiver one. So how much do they really need Jamison Williams? There's obviously now the injury here to David Montgomery. But I think the emergence and consistency of Aiden Hutchinson and that defensive line has been really impressive. Going back to the wide receiver thing, Josh Reynolds has been really good. Uh, And uh, he was with... uh, yeah, obviously with Jared Goff in, in Los Angeles when they were both with the Rams. And there seems to be definitely you know, some kind of connection between those two guys. So uh, I think that Williams is number three wide receiver uh, if everybody's healthy. And uh, you know, what we've seen from Williams, it's kind of a deep ball type of thing, and that's about it. And, uh, you know, and he's got to catch the damn thing too, which has not exactly been his strength. Uh, And number one on this list remains the 49ers, despite Jake Moody's missed kick. He's uh, made a lot of kicks so far uh, in his rookie campaign. Prior to this, he's made 10 of 12 kicks on the season. Certainly injuries are starting to mount here for the 49ers, but if they can come back healthy and it's not long term, then the engine keeps on churning here. I got a question, though. Does this 49ers team, like obviously the stars are the stars and they're really, really good. Is there any depth concerns here if those stars do miss significant amount of time? Well, there's going to be a, a drop off from McCaffrey to whomever. I mean, they've got two or three, you know, whether it's Mitchell, Mitchell or the other dude, I can't remember his name, who played last week and actually did pretty well. Uh, made some, you know, a couple of runs there towards the end of the game. But, uh, so that's for sure. I think the, there's a pretty good argument right now because I think the uh, last year I had the uh, you know mantra for weeks, maybe the entire season last year that the Eagles had the more good, the most good players on any team in the NFL. Uh, if everybody's intact, I think you can definitely, even if they aren't intact, I think right now the 49ers have the most good players of any team in the NFL, offense and defense. You were talking about Jordan Mason, correct? The running back. That that would be him, yes. Yeah. Uh, so the 49ers are still there up at number one. That is Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports' power rankings. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll certainly get to some Arizona Diamondbacks discussion, Arizona Cardinals, the uh, NFL at large. There is a Thursday night football contest tonight. The New Orleans Saints and the Jacksonville Jaguars will also dive into college football AP Top 25. 
There happens to be a huge contest going on on Saturday between Ohio State and Penn State, which we dove into yesterday, but plenty still to get into with college football. If you'd like to chime in, we're certainly happy to hear from you. 602-260-1060 is the number. It is the extra point on this Thursday, October 19th, right here on KDOS AM 1060. Tune in weekdays to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 9 to 10 a.m. on KTUS AM 1060, KTUS1060.com, and with the KTUS 1060 app. Eleven twenty-seven here on KDOS AM ten sixty in the extra point on this Thursday, October nineteenth. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Two local items before we get into some college football discussion. Uh, yesterday, we had mentioned that it was announced um, uh, Sean Marion was going into the Suns Ring of Honor and that uh, a ceremony was set to take place on Friday, December 15th. Well, today, the Suns have announced that Amari Stoudemire is going into the Ring of Honor on the March 2nd contest. So uh, we've talked a lot about how it's awesome that those two players are going into the Ring of Honor and now their dates are officially set with Amari Stoudemire going in Saturday, March 2nd. Yeah, my first official on-air appearance here was, uh, you know, I, it was, I was a guest. You know, I knew I was actually, I'd been hired. They were going to, you know, I was going to appear on a daily show shortly thereafter, but it was a uh, you know, kind of a, you know, kind of, it was like a, the draft show. Uh, and like one of the first things I uttered on these airwaves, well, not the, because I was on syndicated radio before I came here, whatever. That particular day is that I was uh, completely against them taking Amari Stoudemire in the first round that year out of high school, raw, everything, you know, unbelievable ability, obviously, but looked like he was not going to be anywhere near what he was early in his career, which he was pretty good early in his career. I forgot the guy's name from Indiana, uh, who I thought they should draft instead. Uh, and actually, uh, Dick Van Arsdale uh, from Indiana. I remember we had him on and said, come on, you're, you know, help me out here. You, you want the IU guy, right? And uh, and you know, he wanted the IU guy, but you know, what would you, you know, he's an IU alum, et cetera. And uh, so I still had, you know, I still got kept the job, you know, which I was promised to eventually have, but they could have fired me right then and said, this guy's an idiot, as it turns out. But uh, we didn't know for a year or two until I was a complete idiot about that. And, uh, anyway, so that was my first uh, you know, impression of Maury Stoudemire as the Suns just made a big mistake by drafting him. Whoops. Uh, you said Indiana, right? So Jared Jeffries? Yeah, that would be him. He turned out to be a really mediocre NBA player. He was a really good, versatile college player. And uh, played multiple positions and exactly what it seemingly an NBA team would need. And he was never more than like a bench guy on a, on a good team. And uh, if he were on a bad team, he got a chance to start some. But he was never any good. Wow, this draft, the number one overall pick in Amari's draft was Yao Ming. Largest human being I think I've ever seen. I mean, and I've been around large human beings for my whole life. I remember they played, I don't know what I was doing. In the, I think I was probably there to see Miao Ming. 
Uh, it was at a preseason game, which I hate. Uh, and I was there, and there's uh, where you come out of the uh, in those days the Suns, uh, the uh, the you know the you know, lunch and snack room. It's right in the hallway where the players you know, run and walk onto the floor. And I just simultaneous by coincidence walked outside that media thing to go to my seat. And Yao Ming was just starting to walk by. I went, oh, my God, this guy is huge. <laughs> and I still remember that like it was five seconds ago. The other local item I wanted to get to here is the Arizona Diamondbacks changing a lot in the lineup here uh, for this afternoon's contest. So uh, Cattell Marte is now going to be leading off. Corbin Carroll is batting second. He's also playing center field. Gabriel Moreno is now batting third. Christian Walker batting fourth. Tommy Pham batting fifth, and he's playing right field. Guriel is uh, next up. He's continuing to play left field. Evan Longoria now is the DH. Batting eighth is Emmanuel Rivera, who's now playing third, and Her- uh, Geraldo Perdomo is playing shortstop, batting ninth. Well, a lot of this is obviously uh, predicated on the fact that you have left-handed pitcher Ranger Suarez as a starting pitcher, so that's why you know basically Carroll goes down one spot in the lineup. And uh, no Alec Thomas, and uh, you know, f- you know, you're not going to get a lot of ground balls, most likely out of Brandon Fott. So you know, Longoria less needed at third base. Uh, Rivera's not bad, but yeah, he's not as good as Longoria is. Uh, the one thing I'd be pretty concerned about is uh, hopefully if you're uh, if you're Brandon Fott and the ball's hit in the air, it's uh, if it doesn't go out of the park, they hit it to center field. Because uh, Guriel is a questionable, I think he's average at best, left fielder. And Tommy Pham should not be playing outfield in the playoff game for anybody. Uh, and so we'll get into what we officially think is going to happen in this afternoon's contest as part of KDOS1060.com's poll question, which we'll answer on the other side of the break. But let's now dive into some college football discussion. The AP Top 25, number five um, in the AP Top 25 is Washington after the big win over Oregon. They play ASU after that big win here this weekend. Uh, it was a close game. The offense stalled a little bit in that contest there uh you know is this this could be kind of like a letdown situation for washington but uh with everything still in front of them i I think they still have a ton to play for especially being at home well i I disagree with you on this because the asu beat them last year this is a revenge game for washington michael Penix had a not good game and got injured uh at the end of this game so i would assume uh, that he's been looking forward to this game along with a lot of their team the entire year. Uh, number four in the AP Top 25 is Florida State. Uh, questions, is Riley Leonard playing? Is Riley Leonard not playing? And that obviously changes everything as they face Duke this Saturday. My question... He is almost for sure not going to play. Oh, yeah, we don't know absolutely positively because it's college football, but it seems, uh, at least according to the ESPN, a- a- ACC people... It seems highly unlikely that he's going to play. Uh, for me, for Florida State here, you know, are they starting to hit their stride? Well, I would hope so. I mean, they won 12 in a row if you go back to last year. Uh, and uh, yeah, Jordan Travis has not thrown an interception at home for two years now. Uh, so, uh, 
you know, that's uh, they're they're good. This is actually the last ranked opponent that uh, Florida State's going to play, and I don't know if it's really a qualified ranked opponent if Riley Leonard doesn't play. Uh, Duke is zero and twenty zero for twenty one against Florida State in their history. Number three in the AP Top 25 is Ohio State. Huge game upcoming against Penn State in Columbus. And uh, for me here, a couple of different things. Injuries are a question as well as can the run game get going. But you're facing against that Penn State defensive front. Their run game's not going to be going against anybody that's any good on defense this year. Their left tackle is awful. He has the most penalties in college football the last two seasons. If you go back to his time at San Diego State last year, their right tackle is not particularly good either. Their middle guys are decent, but uh, the only team they've really run the ball a game against with success this year is Western Kentucky, which has like the smallest, I'm not exaggerating here, they might have the absolute smallest defensive front seven, weight-wise, height-wise, just size-wise, of anybody of the 133 teams that are uh, comprise the FBS. And number two in the AP Top 25 is Michigan. They play Michigan State this week, and there's now a new investigation open up here on Michigan, potentially uh, having people go ahead to opposing teams' games to scout, which is against the rules. You can't do that. Uh, It has been forever. I mean, this is like a 30-, 40-year rule, and they did this apparently. Why? I mean, they're gonna, they could beat Michigan State if they had seven men in the field. I mean, this, this is a total mismatch. Michigan State is completely in disarray. They're not very good anyway. And Michigan, arguably, is the best team in the country, even though they have played nobody and really don't play anybody until Penn State and Ohio State when they play them in a three-week stretch in the month of November. And number one in the AP Top 25 is Georgia. They're on a bye this week. And obviously the big thing here is Brock Bowers' injury uh, with everyone kind of really, I guess, consensus thinking he's the best player in college football. I don't know. Is that consensus? I mean, I, I think he is. But, uh, you know, he's got zero chance to win the Heisman Trophy because he's not a quarterback. Correct, yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think he is. And. I'm very curious to see where he ends up being drafted because I think that, uh, you know, tight ends don't have a history of being particularly high draft picks, but uh, the fact that so many offenses in the NFL now have implemented the tight end more often in the last, uh, I think, you know, couple of years at least, uh, and probably a little longer than that, but I would think that he's got a chance to be a top 10 pick. Uh, I, haven't looked, I don't do any mock draft crap. I don't care less what the mock drafts say in, in the month of October. Uh, I've got more important things to do than check those out. But uh, So somebody's probably saying that you know he's like 20th or 5th or whatever. I have no idea where he is. But he's really good, and I would think that uh, and he can block. Uh, so that's a bigger deal in the NFL if you have a tight end that blocks than it is in college football. Yeah, if you uh, think about the highest ever – selected tight end it was actually kyle pitts uh wasn't he uh fourth <laughs> overall and i don't know if that's worked yeah, out well, that was that and that was a mistake yeah they should have drafted i forgot who i should have drafted a quarterback i forgot that was the quarterback class where they had three or four guys and they completely screwed that up and you know kyle pitts and you know, he's not even he hasn't even been okay uh but i don't know if he's any good or not because the you know, guys that have been chucking him the ball and Atlanta, the end of the Matt Ryan era, 
And then, you know, they had, uh, you know, the, the dude from Oregon last year for a while. And then Marcus he was Mariota. Terrible. Yeah, he had the worst completion percentage in the history of the sport. I'm just exaggerating a little bit there, but he was bad. And then you know, Desmond Ritter, who, if people want to still tell me that Desmond Ritter is any good after last week, give me you know, give me a few minutes of your time and I'll argue that with you, and it'll be a brief argument, actually. <laughs> uh, he we... absolutely sucked. He absolutely sucked last Sunday. He cost them game. He was... He was there cannot possibly be a quarterback that's been worth worse in the fourth quarter of an, of an NFL game this year and maybe a few years than Ritter was last Sunday in the fourth quarter. And I had the damn Falcons, so I deserve lose. We get into the poll questions on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Eleven forty-one here on KDOS AM ten sixty. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS ten sixty dot com and with the KDOS ten sixty app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a game three this afternoon from Chase Field. NLCS action gets underway. The Diamondbacks and the Phillies. Ranger Suarez for the Phillies. Branton fought for the Diamondbacks with the Phillies having a 2-0 series lead. That leads us into our poll question here, the KDOS1060.com poll question. Who wins game three, the Phillies or the Diamondbacks, Bob? I think the Phillies win. As I mentioned yesterday, I think they're going to sweep the series. Uh, you know, the case can be that you know, the you know, Phillies away from home, at least you know, not as good as they have been at home. Uh, but it just seems to be kind of a rough matchup for the Diamondbacks, as I mentioned yesterday. Uh, Fott's a you know, harder thrower than you know, you know, certainly Merrill Kelly. But this, to this point, it's just been kind of, to me, you know, everybody can point to the power of the Phillies on offense. I think it's more of a power of the Phillies pitching staff so far. And while Suarez is not going to light up a radar gun, he's also not going to pitch most likely more than five innings if things are going well. Their bullpen uh, has been very good for several weeks running now or maybe even months running. And uh, they got a lot of power arms in that bullpen. And uh, the fact that, uh, you know, once again, to repeat from not just yesterday, but for many years, power pitchers, uh, if you got swing and miss stuff and you have power arms, you have a lot more margin for error. If you're finesse pitchers, which a lot of the Diamondbacks pitchers are, starters and relievers, you have very very little margin for error. You know, you can hang a curveball or a slider. It's going to get hit hard somewhere or over the fence. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this is obviously the postseason. And when you look at uh, the sample size so far, Ranger Suarez, he has pitched uh, at Atlanta. It was three and two-thirds innings. You pointed out in uh, hour number one when we were discussing this that that was clearly a plan in place to take him out, uh, even though he was pitching really well. Uh, one hit, yeah. one walk, four. 
he was actually more dominant in the start where they took him out than he was the start that they left him in for five innings. <laughs> Which then leads me to the next start against Atlanta here. It was at home, five innings, three hits, one run, one home run, and two strikeouts in that contest here. We know about Brandon Fought, the up and down season that he has. He pitched incredibly well uh, in that NLDS series here at Chase Field against the Dodgers. So can he kind of rally around uh, the home fans and pitch another gem of a contest in this one here? I think it's imperative that the Diamondbacks get the bats going early. Run support is key here. It helps to get an early lead. Uh, if you can get a lead here, make the Phillies have to have some strategy going uh, and, and just kind of see if you can uh, turn turn this into kind of uh, some decision makings as well and put them in some high stress situations. And I think that obviously they're doing what they can to try to shake things up with some lineup changes and some uh, even different strategies of who's playing where in the outfield and in the infield, et cetera. Um, for me, at certain times during the season, we've had different questions. Are the Diamondbacks, you know, going to make the playoffs? Are the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, in a slump? Are, are what What's going on with the Diamondbacks? And every time it seems like we've had those types of questions and you think that the feeling is heading in a direction that, uh, you know, is going to be negative for the team, they have found ways to turn it around. They have found ways to then start getting themselves onto a winning streak. They have found ways to put together some at-bats. They've found at ways to get some, some strong pitching in those scenarios. I do think the Phillies are a really good team. I do think that the Phillies, uh, you know, obviously with their starting pitching, with the, the power that they have at the plate uh this could just be a team that is much just deeper than the diamondbacks are but the diamondbacks have found resiliency at various different points throughout the season and i can't go against that now uh, i think that they find a way to get this game three today yeah one other quick thing uh, i'm curious if it's going well for brandon thought how long does tory lavelle will stay with him and how do they, if they let him, you know, let's say he gets through five innings, how do they manage the next four innings? Absolutely. The masses, though, are on the Philly side of things at 67% of the vote. Diamondbacks trailing at 33%. That game gets underway today at 2.07 p.m. on TBS. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, which is most likely Pac-12 sends two teams to the college football playoff or zero teams. As it is right now in the AP Top 25, you have uh, Washington sitting at five, and then you have Oregon following their loss to UW at nine. You know, it seems as though there's a really good chance for UW and Oregon to find themselves squaring off against one another down the road. Uh, you have a scenario where this could be a year to kind of take advantage of an SEC conference that might be down just a little bit here but then you also throw in the big 10 it's not only michigan right you have penn state and you know there's going to be a huge matchup this saturday that could potentially determine a lot of of things that happen later on in the season so if you throw penn state into the mix if you throw ohio state into the mix here for the big 10 then you can't forget about the acc with what fsu has been doing so there's a lot of different teams here and a lot of things left to unfold and sort themselves out. But I do think that of all the years where 
college football chaos is ensuing and it's not necessarily been uh, ex- unfolding exactly the way that we thought it could potentially unfold, this would be the year for two teams for the Pac-12. And it would be uh, kind of poetic, I guess, if it's two teams into the, the college football playoff with the conference uh, undergoing incredible amount of change at the end of the year. But history says the Pac-12 doesn't get two teams into the playoff. The Pac-12 gets left out a lot. So I I think I would go in the direction of zero teams. Yeah, the Pac-12 is usually eliminated unofficially by this time of the year, calendar-wise. Yeah, if I'm going to go also zero, and uh, I think this is, you know, you have to start with Washington. They're going to have to be one of the two teams. Uh, They have a three-week schedule stretch, not right now, but starting in the first week of November at USC, home against Utah and at Oregon State. And I would be stunned if they win all three of those games. I don't think they're particularly good on the line of scrimmage. Last week they weren't good on the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball against Oregon. And Oregon was too stupid enough to be able to – they were too stupid and didn't take advantage of that. And uh, for, you know, for, you know, just some bizarre play calling things and I uh, thought that that was a horribly coached game, not just the fourth down decisions. I just didn't understand why they're pounding the ball and they decided to throw more than they had to. And that also got them in trouble and reduced the clock. And, you know, that, that was just crazy. They should have been trying to, you know, shorten the game and lengthen the clock and so forth. But they didn't do any of that. And uh, I, don't, I think that, uh, you know, that, just don't understand what the, they were doing. Uh, but I would be really surprised. You know, maybe even Cam Rising might be playing by Utah at that point, or he doesn't play at all this season. Is, uh, is there's, been some, uh, there's been some suggestions that he might just be redshirting this season, and they haven't told us. Of course, of course, that's Utah, so why would they tell you anything about any injury or whatever? Uh, but I would be really surprised if uh, Washington won, any of those, won all three of those games. And if they're not in, there's no chance for two, in my opinion. Uh, also, don't you missed, uh, you uh, did not mention the Big 12. They're almost for sure going to have one team in. Uh, if, if, if Texas wins the rematch against Oklahoma, they'll have a win against Oklahoma, who presumably would be undefeated at that time. They will have beaten Alabama at Alabama. I and mean, if Oklahoma wins out, they're definitely going to be it. That's true. I did not mention the Big 12. Uh, the masses are on the zero side of things at 100% of the vote. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. We wrap up this Thursday edition of the Extra Point on the other side of the break. NLCS action this afternoon, ALCS action this evening, Thursday night football action this evening. Plenty Hopefully to. Hopefully, the action. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. I'm not so sure. <laughs> Derek Carr throws it to his own guys. There might be some action. If he throws it to the peanut vendor in road 26, there may not be much action. Aren't the Saints supposed to be getting their starting running back back today, too? Well, they've had Kamara back for a while. Yes. uh, He had the the three-game suspension. He's their starting running back. The other one, Williams. Oh, he's like a goal line guy. Yeah, so maybe but they can get down know. to the goal line and score some points. Well, then they'll put Taysom Hill in and piss off all the fantasy owners. We'll wrap it up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point. 
Whatever you know, time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show, right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. October 19th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Download that app today. Register, key component to it. Register and follow along with the listener rewards instructions to get yourself eligible for the $100 gift certificate courtesy of Superbook Sports. It's that time, though, once again, it is. Thank you, time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else slipped to the cracks. They're still showing this Washington-Oregon game. It's like five days later. Okay. They're showing like highlights of it and talking about it on College Football Live. Sorry, I was distracted there for a second. I just thought, are they playing this game again? What's going on? Uh, also, I thank our guest today, Singular. Jags and Saints preview with uh, Mark Long from the Associated Press in Jacksonville. Also, tomorrow at 9.15, we'll preview the Cardinals and Seahawks with Greg Bell, the Tacoma News Tribune. Sound day courtesy of ESPN, uh, WIP, CBS, Fox, and KBME. That would be the Astros flagship station in Houston. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the, the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, and the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6. NLCS action this afternoon. Phillies, Diamondbacks, Chase Field, Ranger Suarez, Brandon Fott, 2.07 p.m. on TBS. ALCS, Astros, and uh, the Rangers. Jose Urquidy, Andrew Heaney, that's at 5.03 p.m. on FS1. Thursday night football, the Jaguars and the Saints, 5.15 p.m. on Amazon Prime. Plenty of things to watch for you this evening. The Las Vegas Aces are the WNBA champions. In fact, they're back-to-back champs. They beat the New York Liberty 70-69 to last night. And boy, Asia Wilson, she is the best player in the WNBA right now. 24 points, 16 rebounds. She won finals MVP. Uh, the Liberty had an opportunity there to win the game or at least tie the game up with a final play. And yeah. uh, it didn't. Didn't go the Liberty's way, and the That's Aces. That's Becky Hammond's team, right? Uh, the Aces, yes. Yeah, so okay. She uh, came into the league as the head coach of the Aces last year. They won in her first year, and they have now won yeah. in her second year. Well, I watched her in the Summer League. She would coach the Spurs Summer League team back in the, you know, like 2019 or so, maybe, somewhere in that ballpark. She deserves a head coaching spot in the NBA, I would think. I watch a lot of these bonehead decisions by NBA coaches. Give her a chance. 
Uh, the Phoenix Mercury named Nate Tibbetts as head coach. Tibbetts spent the last two seasons as a Magic assistant, and prior to that, 2013 to 2021 as an assistant with the Portland Trailblazers. So he'll be the next Phoenix Mercury head coach. That'll do it for this edition of the Extra Point Friday Spread coming to you tomorrow. Talk to you then.